Who was the first president to wear pants? And what do Halley's Comet and the life insurance industry have in common? <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marsha, that's quite a question there. The first <laughs> president to wear pants? Think about it, Bob. Uh, we're not talking Levi jeans, are we? No, no, no. Because they didn't wear the pants like we have today. Can you explain that a little bit to, oh, before okay. I get to the answer? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, what did they wear? What did George Washington wear? What? Pantaloons? <laughs> I don't know. No, there was a name for those half pants. They were called breeches. Oh, okay. You know, those little things that came down the calf. Uh, they were above the calf. Anyway, that was a very much held over uh, tradition from England where you would dress to impress and apparently showing off your... Your ankle impressed. Your muscular <laughs> calves impressed people. But so uh, uh, we didn't have an American style back in the day. So all the presidents wore breeches. You see them in all their poses and fancy pants. So I will say Andrew Jackson was the first president who didn't wear those. Oh, well, you're getting warm. Like I said, John Adams wore breeches, but his son, John Quincy, he was the first one to wear pants. The first president to wear pants, yeah. what we would call pants today. Yes. Huh. And it was starting to become a political statement that if you wore the breeches still, it was kind of a conservative old fuddy-duddy way where John Q was, you know, he's a hip guy who, uh, <laughs> he was a great diplomat. He helped formulate the Monroe Doctrine, and he was steadfastly against the expansion of slavery. Anyway, this new fancy pants guy said, I'm not wearing those, and he put on long pants. I'll be darned. So there you go. So when was John Quincy Adams elected president? Oh, I knew you'd ask, so I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> he was the sixth president, and he was elected in 1825. So it took until 1825 before yeah. we had a president who really wore his pants. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a question sent in from Stephen Short. Oh, that's great. Of San Francisco. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for submitting that question. He wanted me to give you, Mr. President, who loves his president questions, he wanted me to give you that question. Okay, well, I didn't have that answer. You didn't have the answer. The man who really wore the pants <laughs> in the family was John Quincy Adams. All right, thank you, Steve. <laughs> okay, here's one. We all know that there's a comet that circulates and comes back every so many years. It's called Halley's Comet. I used to think it was Halley's, but yeah. I read the name rhymes with valley. So it's Halley's Comet. Huh. Now, what do Halley's Comet and the life insurance industry have in common? They only pay off uh, every 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> no. 20 years, 50, 100. What they have in common is Sir Edmund Halley. Because as a British scientist and astronomer and mathematician, he did many things. He predicted the orbit of that comet, which was named for him. He published the first charts of the prevailing winds of the oceans, so we know where the winds are. And he recorded the celestial latitudes and longitudes of 341 stars. So he actually kind of mapped out the skies. Which, okay. But he also invented actuarial tables. And that's what the foundation of the life insurance industry is. 
interesting mashup of professions. It is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he apparently had a talent for reducing large amounts of data to meaningful information, and in 1693, he studied the death records of the city of Wroclaw, Poland, and he published his findings in an estimate of the degrees of the mortality of mankind. Now, that article helped the British government sell life insurance annuities at an appropriate price based on the age of the purchaser. What year was that? That was in 1693. So they were life insurance since 1600s? Right. Holy commode. <laughs> yeah. A- actuarial tables became the foundation uh, of the life insurance okay. industry, and that was 1693 that it became a science based yeah. on the you know estimate right. of how long you're so going to live. So they had a they had a good chance to make money. They saw the actuarial table and thought, yeah, okay, and the it, odds can be in our favor. It's like Las Vegas, right, where the odds are. Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. And it was from the astronomer Edmund Halley. Okay, got it. All right. Okay, Bob. What was the first city in the world to reach a population? Of one million. I thought it was supposedly Rome and back way, way back, but it could have been Beijing or or one of the Chinese cities. Yeah, they were early, but nailed it, honey. Rome in 133 B.C. 133 B.C. It had a million people. (laughs) Yeah. My God, that's amazing. I thought so, too. And did you know there's a Rome on every continent in the world? Yeah, well, there's Rome, New York, and I don't know what other cities in the United States have Rome. Well, just every continent has at least one Rome. Okay, I have a question for you. How big? How big was it? How big was the Boston Tea Party? We all have heard of the Boston Tea Party. What do you mean in terms of people, number of people? It was big. It was pretty expensive, too. So, Well, you got to give me a quantify here. How should I Well, you know what it was about. Yes, taxes. Taxes on tea, right? Correct. And that was one of the last taxes that the British refused to release because we have to show our authority to the uh, continental people that we can tax them. Take the breaches and the tea tax. That's right. (laughs) The tea tax. (laughs) So um, how how many chests of tea and uh, how many tons of tea and what was it worth? Any idea? Just give me a round number. Okay, I'll just say what it's worth. In today's dollars or back then? In today's dollars. In today's dollars, I'll say... Four hundred and thirty-two million. No, it wasn't that much. Okay, I don't that's know. a lot. Of, that's a lot of tea, Marsh. Okay, so now let's go back in time. This goes. Uh, this goes back to December sixteenth, seventeen seventy-three. Other cities refused to buy tea. Basically, they just said, "We're not going to buy the tea. Just take your ship back to England." And they sailed all the way back with this tea. Merchants were very upset. The government, no, they're not buying tea. But in Boston, there was a law that once your ship docked, it had to be unloaded, and the stuff had to be sold. So the night before it was going to be unloaded, a raiding party dressed as Mohawk Indians <laughs> threw 342 chests of tea into Boston Harbor. Now, how much tea did they destroy? 42 tons wow. of tea. That's a lot of tea. Valued at 9,000 British pounds at the time. Now, I went online to see, well, what's that worth in U.S. dollars today? Today, that would be the equivalent of $1.9 million worth of tea. That was the price tag for the Boston Tea Party. $2 million in today's money. Yes. That was the beginning of Antifa. That was they? The they dressed be- up as Indians. <laughs> <laughs> that was the beginning of the end of civil government. Yeah. Because right. after that, uh, the, what the British overreacted. They took away Massachusetts' rights to have town meetings. They dissolved the legislature. And any British official who was accused of a crime would be taken all the way back to London for trial. So yeah. you never, you didn't know if anybody was punished for anything they did wrong here. Yeah, yeah. So all of that led to the American Revolution, that Thank tea you. party. Thank you, Mr. History. 
Let's just put that tea away now. And I... (laughs) (laughs) Bust your teas. When was the PGA founded, Bob? You know what the PGA is? The Professional Golf Association. Very good. I would assume that goes back to the late 19th, early 20th century. And I would say around 1910 or 1920. My goodness. For a non-sports guy, you, you're good at this. 1916, right, right. In the, right in the middle of your guess. <laughs> Today, there are 29,000 men and women members. And it started by a fellow named Rodman Wanamaker. I think it's Wanamaker. Wanamaker, okay. Yeah, it's a well-known name. And he established it to elevate the standards of the golf profession and to grow interest and participation in the game. And it did, and it didn't take off till Tiger Woods joined the club. Oh, well, I think it took off a little before that. <laughs> it, it did, but it's it really took off. Ben Hogan and all those guys back yeah, in the yeah, back it's in the always day. had a following, but it really became much more of a craze after Tiger took to the professional tour. Okay, now an advertising question. Yes, dear. Advertising history. It wasn't until 1911 that the New York Herald accepted advertising for a specific type of product. By closing time that day, the entire stock of this product was sold out. What product was finally allowed to advertise in a New York newspaper in 1911 that had never been advertised before? And you know the name. and Cigarettes? You know the, not cigarettes. This is a woman's product. It's a fashion product. A fashion? A girdle. No, maternity fashions. Oh, really? And the brand was Lane Bryant. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, uh, Lena Hamelstein, a Lithuanian immigrant who had married and had been widowed by her first husband, David Bryant, went into the business for herself making ready-to-wear clothing, and she also introduced the first maternity dress in 1904. Wow. But it wasn't until 1911 that the New York Herald accepted the advertising for maternity clothing. And here's what the Lane Bryant ad said. I've got it here. It is no longer the fashion nor the practice for expectant mothers to stay in seclusion. Doctors, nurses, and psychologists agree that <laughs> at this time... Psychologists weighed in on it, huh? A woman should think and live as normally as possible. To do this, she must go about among other people and must look like other people. Lane Bryant has originated maternity apparel in which the expectant mother may feel as other women feel because she looks as other women look. Wow. And again, by closing time, the entire stock of that daytime maternity fashion had been sold out. It's like pantyhose. Hello? <laughs> it was the beginning of a new industry. Yes, absolutely. Because it was like you're pregnant and you would just, nobody even talked about that. It was with child. Yeah. And then yeah. the woman is hiding, apparently, for the next nine months. It's crazy. And you know what's so funny about going full circle for fashion and pregnancy now so few people wear maternity clothes. They put on tight clothes to show off their bump, their baby <laughs> bump. So it's totally different. Very different. Okay. Can you name any or some of the top five best-selling movie soundtracks of all time? I would say The Sound of Music would be one. Nope. And then I would say... <laughs> okay. Of the top five. You'd think that that would be one of you've them. Seen, it's The Sound yeah. of Music. It's you, a soundtrack album. You've seen all these movies. And are they primarily in the last, like, 20 years or something? More. More than that. Let's put the one of the Disney films we talked about recently that sold so many millions of copies or was seen by many millions of people. Mm. One of the Frozen oh. albums. Is that one of them? No. Okay, I don't know. Okay. I'm, Disco... Fever. Oh, oh, da- oh, yeah, sure. They won the Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. That was number two. Huh. Uh, another dancing movie was number three. What's that? It's up at the resort in the. Oh, up in the Catskills. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was that? That time yeah. of my life. Uh, uh, dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. Of okay, course. and the King of the World. 
Oh, really? The uh, Titanic. Titanic soundtrack. And number five was Grease. Okay. But the number one was The Bodyguard. Oh, no kidding. Whitney Houston. I never thought of that as a soundtrack. No, movie. me either. But uh, she sang, you know, awesome in there. And uh, Okay, sure. So that was the five best-selling movie soundtracks That's, of all time. That makes sense. Okay, to change topics, how much does a blue whale's tongue weigh? <laughs> this is a Marcia question. It is. The blue whale's tongue weighs as much as a fully grown elephant. Just the tongue of a blue whale. Really? Yeah, or as much as a sport utility vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Three so t- between 1,200 and 2,000 pounds. So it's a ton. Yeah. Uh, f- tongue. <laughs> a ton a, of tongue. A ton of tongue. That's exactly right. All right. All right. And what is unusual about wombat poop? Oh, you were just full of Marsha questions Well, I'm not today. full of this. <laughs> what is unusual about wombat poop? Is it the shape of it? Yes, it is. Is it rectangle? Yes. Wombats poop in cubes. Well, a big... They, they look like little squares. <laughs> is it Rubik's Cube? No. Uh, no, it's wombat squares. <laughs> wombat <laughs> cubes. Uh, now you got me confused here. Okay. All right. All right, then one more. All right. What's unusual about some sea slugs? I debated about even including this today. Well, I, I thought it might upset people. That was a good. That was a good idea, Bob. But apparently, you went down the wrong path, yeah, Bob, and yeah, you decided ahead, to use an, it anyway. Answer it. Okay, some sea slugs have disposable penises. <laughs> <laughs> After mating, they fall off, but then they grow back. Now, there's so many jokes there. I'm not going to touch any of them. <laughs> okay. How very interesting. Thank you for that enlightening information. Yeah, I'll bet you feel that okay. way about it. Okay. All right now. You recall the last movie soundtracks, best-selling, Bodyguard, Saturday Night Favor. Can you name any of the top best-selling cast recordings from Broadway shows? Sound of Music. <laughs> none, of the, none of the same. Darn! <laughs> okay. Broadway cast recordings. Now, does this go back, way back? Or are we talking about uh, Alfred? Uh, You've seen all these except one. Me too. What's his name? The fellow from England that did all the shows. Uh, oh, yeah. He's in here. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. So like Cats what? and... Uh, yeah, that's not here. What's the one with the ramparts? We saw that uh, live. Les Mis is yeah. what you're thinking. And that is number two. Okay. And, so Les Mis, I got one. And Lloyd Webber did not. Do that. Okay, sorry. I know. Excuse me. I had me. a fight with my brother over this. How about the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera? Yes, that's the f- number three. And that was Andrew Lloyd Webber. Correct. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, uh, how many am I trying to come up with? You got the number two and number three. So these are all cast recordings again. I have again. often walked down the street before. Where, what was that from? That's from way back when we were kids. Come on, Bob. Everybody. Uh, Oklahoma. Okay. <laughs> No? Oh, it's not my that Fair funny. Lady. Oh, my God. It's what I said earlier. Oh, I said Sound this, of Music. Yeah, this is cast recording. And number five is uh, one neither one of us have seen, Wicked. And number one, you should have had this one. All right. What is What's it? What's the last big show we saw? We went to Chicago. I know, but I can't think Hamilton. Of it. Oh, okay. That's okay. That's okay, number okay. one best-selling cast recording. So tell me those from again. From a Broadway show. In order, Hamilton, Les Mis, Phantom, My Fair Lady, and Wicked. Top. And that means it's time now for a break, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a break from all this wicked stuff. Uh-huh. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Okay, we're back with the off-ramp. And, uh, Marsha, we did a question similar to this sometime back, but it's not the same animal. What animals see more daylight than any other creature on the planet? Oh, that's a intriguing. More daylight. It's something that flies. 
<laughs> I put it that way. Something that flies. Uh, daylight. And it's not paper. I don't know. It's Arctic terns. These are birds. <laughs> you think you have a long commute when you have to go to work? They have the longest commute <laughs> known to man or beast. 25,000 mile round trip. You know why? No. Because they commute between their breeding grounds and their wintering grounds in the Antarctic. 25,000 miles. So they go from the Arctic to the Antarctic. So each year, Jeez. they make that trip flying from pole to pole. Almost never landing. Really? And because of that migration pattern, they see more daylight than any other creature on Earth. The Arctic tern, T-E-R-N. It's the name of the bird. Where do they go to retire, I wonder? I, they go to Florida I like everybody say, else, I, I think. I was going to say. Arizona or Florida. Yeah, all right. Too. Just wondering. <laughs> okay, last question like this, and it's totally different answers for the top five. Well, hopefully it's different answers. It's a different question. Well, it's not that different. Oh, okay. Can you name any of the top best-selling film soundtracks? Well, I thought that's what we were talking no, about earlier. No, we did oh, cast cast recordings from the Broadway show. Hamilton It was number one with the cast recording from the original show. But this is film soundtracks. So these well, are excuse Broadway. Excuse me, but what was the first question you asked me? The one was best-selling movie soundtracks of all time. Well, what are you talking about now? It's film soundtracks, same thing. Film soundtracks of Broadway shows. Oh, dear God. I know. This is a subcategory of a subcategory. Well, I find it interesting. because I'm not saying it's not interesting. <laughs> it's just confusing. I know, honey. I'm okay. here for you. Okay. All right, I now, don't you've know. Seen, you've seen all these movies. Best-selling Broadway film soundtracks. These were Broadway shows brought to film. And okay, can I get any other hints? Like about, give me a hint for one. The the plot, maybe, or the setting, okay, or the time okay. frame. All right, uh, Mario. Oh, the, okay, <laughs> so we're talking, uh, the one took place in New York City, Leonard Bernstein did the music, and it was called... <laughs> What the heck was that called? North Side Neighborhood? No. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it. West Side Story. It's West Side Story, That's yeah. number three. Hmm. And Don't Cry For Me. Okay, well, I won't. Okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> Don't Cry cry For Me, Argentina. Yeah. Wow. What's the name of the show? Oh, I thought that was it. No. Oh, it's uh, the name of the woman. Yeah. Uh, she was the uh, wife yeah. of the dictator. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. That's as far as that's... the brain wants to go okay. right now. Okay, that's Evita. That was number two. Okay. Uh, number four was Chicago. Oh, okay. We I saw that. Number five, Mama Mia, Mama oh, Mia. Oh yes, that and was. Number the, one mm-hmm. came in as. Oh, I'm sorry. This was referenced on the first one, but this is number one on this one, and it is Greece. Okay. It's the best-selling Broadway film soundtrack. So. There you have it. <laughs> you have confused me and most of our audience <laughs> well, on what's, these. Well, what's great is you hardly answered any of those. Yeah, so I know I... you love that. <laughs> Let me ask you a very sophisticated question yes, since sure. you got all this entertainment out of it. All there. right. Why was Dolly, the cloned sheep, named after Dolly Parton? <laughs> this well, is the first cloned sheep, remember? Yeah, that was a I few remember years the whole thing. They and named it her wasn't, Dolly. Well, it they wasn't, named her after Dolly Parton. Uh, the thought that comes to mind is not good for family library radio. Oh, Marsha, here's the answer. Shame on you. <laughs> it's because Dolly, the cloned sheep, was cloned from a mammary cell. It's true. She was the first yeah. cloned oh, animal. okay. And the stockmen adopted that name for her because oh. Dolly Parton has many mammary cells. Okay. Mammary. Right, here's one. Oh, I wish. I- here's a question. Animal question. Another animal question for you, uh-huh. Marsha. We've moved from Dolly, the cloned sheep, into another sophisticated area. What Climbs trees in the jungle, but technically doesn't have feet. What is it? You'll be surprised at this. I will, huh? Yeah, everybody will be surprised at this. All right, then tell me. 
monkeys. They don't have feet? You think they have hands and feet, but because they have opposable thumbs instead of big toes, they're classified as being four-handed creatures. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's wow. also why they could climb so well. <laughs> That's why we're here to enlighten people. That's right. Do you remember Evil Knievel, Bob? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he, the rocket motorcycles, he would shoot over the canyons yeah. and so forth. Yeah. We, we grew up uh, watching him do Stunts. stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> stupid, dangerous things. Well, he holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most broken bones. Really? How many Broken bones, did oh, he, he have? he had 200 or 250 broken bones at some point. 433. Good God. Yep. He stopped jumping in 1976 when he was seriously injured during a televised, and I think we all saw this, attempt to jump over a full tank of sharks at the Chicago Amphitheater. He died in 2007 at the age of 69 from pulmonary disease. Wow. So, so he was pretty young when he died, when you think about all that. You know, when you watch those things at the time, I don't know, we were in our 20s, I think. I was even thinking, why is this guy doing this? You know, yeah. is he making that much money? Does it make sense to do these it's, silly it, things? It's something you can't relate to because it's not in you. And that's the uh, the need to... The danger thing. The danger and to... They're driven by different things, Bob. I suppose you're right. Of course I am. Okay. All right. Speaking of being driven by different things, I'm going to ask you this question. Another history question, business history. Oh, good. One of America's great inventors produced something on the side while he produced his invention. This gentleman produced a number of illegitimate children. <laughs> a big number. Was that Ben Franklin? No, not Ben oh. Franklin. This is another inventor. Okay. Edison. No. This, this gentleman invented something that went into almost every home on earth at one point. Okay, tell me. Isaac Singer. The sewing machine. The sewing, well, yeah, the inventor of the Singer sewing machine. Yes, I guess he had his bobbin going in and out somewhere. Well, in 1852, <laughs> that's right, when he and his partner Edward Clark went into business together, he had already fathered 11 illegitimate children. Wow. Eventually, he fathered 24 children. Good 24 Lord. illegitimate yeah. children. He impregnated four women, only one of which he bothered to marry. Yeah. And through a series of complicated maneuvers, none of the women found out about the other until 1860, when one of his gals saw him out for a ride with another woman. She set off in hot pursuit and told the whole world about their relationship. And police were called in to break up a violent argument, and then the newspapers told the story to the world. Singer took the younger sister of one of his mistresses with him. He fled to Europe. Clark was shocked. He dissolved the partnership, but both he and Singer retained stock in the company, and Singer died at his mansion in England in 1875. But Isaac Singer, who made millions of sewing machines, also fathered 24 illegitimate children. That was what he was doing on the side when he was inventing Put things. a zip on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The largest gliding animal in the world, Bob, is the giant flying squirrels mm -hmm. found in the forests of Asia. Question. How far can they glide? Okay. Because they go from tree to tree yeah, to tree. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it in terms of feet? Yeah. Okay, so I'd say 300 feet. That's a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, 150 feet. <laughs> no. The most recorded so far is 1,476 feet. Holy cow. More than the length of four football fields. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. They grow up to... Uh, 
three feet seven inches long themselves, the flying squirrels, but still, they're weird to look at if you've ever seen their bat wings or whatever. And uh, that's a lot of gliding. That's longer than a turkey can fly. <laughs> turkey has wings and it can't fly that far. That, oh, know? no. And some of, there are other animals that are birds that... Yeah. You know, have evolved to but, have the equipment, but don't fly. But here is an animal that doesn't. So think about this at the opening of a football game. Instead of having the the jets fly over, they could have <laughs> gliding squirrels. Gliding squirrels. Released from what? Where would they be released from? I don't know. Oh. Some kind of a jet or something? I don't know. Oh, that's funny. Okay, that's pretty good. Okay, a mountain question, Marcia. Oh, you good. love these. I love those. Okay, mountains create. Unless you put a president on top of a mountain and ask. 1902, when Teddy Roosevelt stood at the peak of. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, uh, mountains create their own weather systems. How many weather systems does Mount Kilimanjaro have? How many? I'll say four. No, it has six. Okay. Interesting enough. Now, that is a 19,340-foot mountain, so it's one of the world's tallest. It I didn't realize this, and it's you've seen pictures of it in Africa. Yeah. It is a volcano with six ecological zones or microclimates. Huh. What are they? Well, I don't have names for them, Marsha. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. See, you'd ask me. Okay, good. I'm All right, glad. let me ask you this then, Mr. <laughs> Little Miss Smarty Pants. Where are a cricket's ears located? Uh where are a cricket's ears located? Come on, on, you know. On his back. No. On his stomach. No. On his head. No. On his toes. <laughs> you don't know, do you? <laughs> What's no. left? On his front legs just below the knees. Of course. <laughs> that's, that's, why would you put, put the, God put the ears of the cricket just below its knees. Jan's just like, why did you put them there, God? Okay. Okay. How can a cricket tell you the temperature? Oh, uh, the louder he crickets, the warmer it's going to, uh, the rain is going to come? Nope. You count the number of chirps in yeah. 15 seconds. Yeah. You, you put a timer on it, 15 yeah. seconds. Then you add the number 37 and you have the temperature in degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, come on. That's absurd. No, it's true. It, you take the number of chirps in 15 seconds, then you add 37 and you, most likely you'll have the temperature. That's just the way it is, Marsh. I know you don't like that, but... <laughs> well, come summer, baby. I'm going to give that a whirl. If you can hear it for the locusts. <laughs> yeah, the cicadas. <laughs> yeah. You know the difference between a cicada and a locust? I thought they were the same thing. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping you Jeez. did. <laughs> I'll just edit that one out, okay? No. Make us look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. That's what it is. Okay. All right, I'm going to leave you with a thought from Mac Anderson. You're always just one choice away from changing your life. Oh, okay. I thought it was, you're always just one choice away from total disaster. <laughs> that too. <laughs> or the best decision you ever made. Depends on how you look at oh, it. Oh, yeah. But I prefer to think, you know, think people who are in desperate depression, all that, you're just one choice away from changing your life forever. Well, that's a nice neutral way to look at it. I thought so. <laughs> I <laughs> Still have some hope there. Okay, I'll look at it that way as a very positive thing to it say, It is Marcia. positive, Bob. What, what, just tell it again. You're always one choice away from changing your life. What a positive thing to think of. <laughs> what a great way to end the show. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Well, that's it. We hope you've enjoyed this half hour, and you'll join us again next time when we return with The Off-Ramp. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Till next time, take care. Bye. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.